Occasionally we, uh, yeah, give these guys a big hand this morning. These guys give us an opportunity every now and then to, uh, to lead worship, and we really appreciate all that they do. If you have your Bibles this morning, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. If uh, you're using the YouVersion Bible app, you can open that up, and the notes and the scriptures and everything is there for you this morning. But uh, turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to begin reading here in just a moment in verse 25. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Are you there? Say, I'm there. Or if you're not there, it's going to be on the screen, so you're still there, okay? Here we go. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. And he asked him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side of the road. Then... A despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him going over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. He put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, Take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor who was attacked to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, go now and do the same. Probably one of the greatest Americans of the 20th century would be Helen Keller. Helen Keller was born June 27, 1880 in Tuscumbia, Alabama. At 19 months of age, she was stricken with a mysterious disease that left her completely blind and totally deaf. For seven years, her parents tried to reach her in her prison of silence and darkness and on the advice of a famed teacher of the deaf Alexander Graham Bell who we know would go on to invent the telephone an appointment was made with her with Ann Sullivan at the Perkins Institute for the Blind 
On March 4th, 1887, Ann Sullivan began to teach Helen Keller for months through steady persistence and unbelievable patience. Ann Sullivan was able to teach Helen Keller the fingertip alphabet system known as Braille by getting Helen Keller to place her fingers, her sensitive fingers, on the neck of Ann Sullivan and the lips of Ann Sullivan. She began to feel the vibrations of voice and the movement of her mouth. And soon after only three years, she learned how to speak. Helen Keller described how she felt when the first word from the fingertips of Ann Sullivan fell into her hand and she realized the word was water. She said, All my life, all I knew was stillness and silence. My life had no past and my life had no future. But when one word from the fingertips of another dropped into my hand, it clutched my emptiness and my heart leaped into the rapture of living. Surprisingly, with Ann Sullivan's help, Helen Keller went on to attend Radcliffe College where she would graduate with honors in four years with a Bachelor of Arts degree. The first blind deaf person to do so. She would go on to establish the Massachusetts Institute for the Blind. And during her lifetime, she would raise more money for the American Institute for the Blind than any other person who had lived up to that point. She would give lectures around the world in 35 different countries, they say, to World War II veterans and others. She would write books such as The World I Live In. Movies were made about her in plays such as The Unconquered and The Miracle Worker. She lived to be 88 years old and is now entombed in the Washington National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., Next to her friend, Ann Sullivan. Truly, one of the greatest Americans to ever live was Helen Keller. But there is a quote that has been attributed to Helen Keller along with Jonathan Swift and others from the 1700s that is a powerful quote that leads us to where I want us to go today, and that's this. There is no one more blind than someone who has eyes and refuses to see. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus told a story about that possibility. It's the story we just read. And Jesus told the story in answer to a question posed by a scribe. A scribe was an expert in religious law. He was someone who would have been very meticulous about the law. He would have known all that there was to know about the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He would know all the ins and outs. And he even had some jurisdiction over the law. And Luke 10.25 tells us that he came to Jesus and he asked Jesus a question trying to test Jesus' knowledge of the law. And he said, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus turned the question back on him, knowing he was an expert in the law. He said, so what does the law of Moses say? How do you read the law of Moses? And he said, well, he, he, he quotes that verse that we know in, in Deuteronomy 6, 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love the, your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe, knowing the controversy of the question, who is my neighbor? Is my neighbor a fellow Israelite? Is my neighbor a proselyte, another, con another convert? Who exactly is my neighbor? He comes at Jesus and says, well, who is my neighbor? And in answer to that question, Jesus told the story. There was a Jewish man who was traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The road Jesus talked about in this parable was an actual real road. This road led from the heights of Jerusalem to the lowlands in Jericho. When he said he went down from Jericho to Jerusalem, he actually did go down. It was a 17-mile journey, 3,300 feet down that he walked on that journey. And we know that on that road there were robbers and thieves who would use the terrain as a place where they could attack people and they would hide in the clefts and in the mountains. And so knowing that, Jesus told this story. And he, he told the story about this man who was traveling what people called in that day the bloody way. It even had a nickname, a gruesome nickname because of all the attacks that had taken place. And Jesus said that he was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, this Jewish man. He was attacked, he was beaten, he was wounded, and he was left for dead. By chance, Jesus said, a priest who was leaving Jerusalem going down to Jericho would be coming along and this would make sense to the listeners because they knew that during that time that priests lived in the city of Jericho. It was called the city of priests. When priests would finish their temple duty in Jerusalem, they would take the 17-mile journey down to Jericho to their homes. And Jesus said that as he went, he saw him. It says it in your Bible right there in Luke chapter 10 verse 31. It says, the priest came along and he saw the man. This wasn't a case of distracted driving. He wasn't looking at his device. There wasn't a GPS. He wasn't even walking with a companion who maybe they were talking along the road and they missed it. No, Jesus said he saw him. He saw him, but he didn't see him. He saw him, but maybe he was too busy. Maybe he was finishing his duty. Maybe he was tired. Maybe he'd been dealing with people all day long. He was, he was worn out. And he sees this guy, and he sees him in this position, and maybe he thinks, oh, oh, I can't even come close to him because as a priest, if I get in contact with a dead body, he's ceremonially unclean, and I'll have to be out of the temple and out of work for a few days. A lot of excuses came his way. And the Scripture says, not only did he pass him by, listen, he went to the other side of the road. He intentionally got as far away as possible, the scripture says, from the Jewish man who had been wounded and beaten. Then Jesus said, a Levite comes along next in the story. Now a Levite was, uh, some translations call him a temple assistant. He was basically the associate pastor of the priest. And maybe in this story the priest left work that day, and he said, hey, uh, Levite, temple assistant, 
You finish up some things, cut the lights out, cut the air down. You make sure everything's good to go. Check the mailbox, and I'm going on home, and I'll see you down in Jericho later. And so it's later in the same day, not long afterward, that Jesus says the Levite comes by. And it says something interesting about the Levite. The Levite actually, if you, if you take the time to really read it, the Levite actually gets a little more credit than the priest. Because the priest saw him and just went to the other side of the road. But the scripture says that the temple assistant actually, look at it on the screen, he walked over. He didn't just completely avoid him. He walked over. He looked at him. He saw him, but he didn't see him. And then he also did what the priest did. He passed by on the other side of the road as far away as he possibly could. Then Jesus said, a Samaritan came along. And this is the shocking part of the story, really. I mean, for us, we've heard of the good Samaritan, right? It's one of Jesus' most famous parables. It's even part of our American vernacular. I mean, people say that if somebody goes out of their way to help somebody, they were a what? They were a good Samaritan. And so if you've heard that term before and you, you didn't realize it, hey, you learned something today. That term, the good Samaritan, comes from Scripture. It comes from Jesus' story. Now, unfortunately, in the days of Jesus, most who lived in that day didn't think there was anything as a good Samaritan. They, they did not think a good Samaritan was even possible because Samaritans were descendants from the northern ten tribes of Israel. During the Assyrian invasion, they had intermarried with the Jewish people. And because of that fact, those who were loyal to Israel thought they were unpatriotic, that they were ceremonially unclean, that they were defiled, that they had distorted the law. And so there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. But everybody noticed this morning who Jesus chose to be number three on the trail, a Samaritan. The one that no one else would have chosen for their story. Jesus said a Samaritan came by. And remember who he's talking to. He's talking to a scribe. An expert in religious law who likely had friends, acquaintances, and business associates who were both priests and Levites. And it says that when the Samaritan came upon him, when he saw him, he saw him. He had compassion on him and the Bible says he came to him he bandaged his wounds he poured oil and wine in them then he took him and he didn't just do the work and bandage him and leave him he picked him up he sat him on his own beast and he took him to an inn he walked him in the inn he laid money on the counter and said, I'm going to pay for him and I got to go, but I'll be back. And if his expenses are any more, I'll be back to check on him and I'll reimburse you anything that may be over. The Samaritan saw him. We began this year just a few weeks ago. I told you that we would be adding a new statement to our Love Your City vision, Hear His Heart, Show His Love, and that vision would be See His Kingdom. And this month, we have spent 21 days in fasting and prayer to prepare ourselves and ask God to help us this year. God, help us to see your kingdom like never before. 
in the second week of this series, I talked to you about kingdom. And we talked about what is the kingdom. And what did Jesus mean when he gave all those parables and stories and had all those encounters? What was he meaning when he talked about the kingdom? And we learned that if we're going to see his kingdom, we must have a kingdom perspective. And then last week I told you that a kingdom perspective is a Jesus perspective. And we looked at all of those stories last week where it says specifically Jesus saw. And we said last week that Jesus, when he looked at people, he saw potential. He saw opportunity. He saw faith. And he saw need. But listen to me this morning. What we learned last week about Jesus is what we learned from the parable of the Good Samaritan. See, Jesus not only saw potential... He not only saw opportunity, he not only saw faith, he not only saw need, he did something about what he saw. It's one thing to see it. It's entirely another thing to do something about it. I'm going to get two amens right there, but I'll take them. And I want to ask you this morning. Is it just possible that sitting here in our comfortable seats with possibly new clothes we got at Christmas that we didn't need and we're going to eat food that we've got already enough at home that maybe God has blessed us in the United States of America not just to, to have a great job to raise great kids, to go to a great college, to get a job, to stay out of trouble to have a bucket list, to check off a few things, to go on vacations and put some money in the bank for retirement. Is it possible, church, that God has put us in the United States of America at this time where the poorest person in this room is richer than 90% of the entire rest of the planet? Did you hear what I just said? That's a fact. On your poorest day, You are a rich person. That's not just preacher talk. That is a fact. And is it possible that God has blessed us with all these things, not just so we can check the American boxes, but so we can be a blessing to somebody else, so we can see as Jesus saw. I told you last week that every time Jesus saw potential, and he saw opportunity, and he saw faith, and he saw need, there was a word that would be in almost all of those conversations. It would say, Jesus saw and he had compassion. Thank you for helping me this morning. Compassion. And compassion that wasn't just I see the problem over there on the other side. I see it and I have a little compassion. But compassion that moved him in a direction where he took and he saw the opportunity and the need and the faith. And he reached out and took care of those who were in need. Next Monday, a week from tomorrow, Tress and I will celebrate 24 years of marriage. And I was, I was doing some math. Thank you. Y'all are clapping for her, I know. I was doing some math, which is scary for me because I'm right brain, not left brain, or whichever it is. I don't even know my brain this morning. But I was figuring out that in the 24 years next week that we've been married, we've lived very simply, I know this part, we've lived in three different cities in 24 years, but I figured out we've moved eight different times. 
Whether it be from our first apartment to the first house we owned. Or when we moved here, we moved into an apartment and then we bought a house. I'm sorry, we moved into a parsonage. Then we bought a house and we're homeowners again. Then we moved to Virginia and we rented uh, for three and a half years. Then we moved back here and we rented for a few years. And then we bought a house again. And we've moved eight different times. And, and some of you, you've helped us move. And you're saying, I hope you don't move again because I'm tired of helping you move, Pastor. But some of you helped us move. But I, I thought about this. How crazy would it be if I called you and I said, hey, we, we bought another house here in town. We're going to move again. And I need your help to move. Because when you move, you got to have help, right? You just, you just can't do it all on your own. There's just too much to do. And I said, okay, 8 o'clock, Saturday morning, come to the house, help us move. And you come to the house at 8 o'clock, you knock on the door. Hey, you just hear us. Hey, come on in. And you see the family, and we're sitting there, and we're, we're watching the news. We're drinking coffee. We're having eggs and bacon. And we're like, hey, come on in and have something. And you begin to look around, and you see that nothing has changed. All the pictures are on the wall. Everything looks normal. I don't see a box. And you, you were even wondering when you came into the yard because you didn't see a moving van in the driveway. You would think, to be sure you're not going to ask us to help you pack up. What's going on, man? I thought you said we were moving. Because we know that the word moved means to pass from one place or position to another. So if I am going to move, then there's got to be some Movement. Uh, thank you. I like that word. There's got to be some action behind movement. So, if your Bible and my Bible says Jesus was He, last week we said He did what? Oh, come on, y'all. Y'all were here. He did what? This is easy. He saw. He saw and He was moved with what? We said it a minute ago. Moved with compassion. He was what with compassion? He was moved. So that meant he did something with action. Compassion means action, right? So he didn't just see all those needs. He met all those needs as he went. I want to ask you this morning. How many people on your way to church this morning did you see but you didn't see? How many people... When you get up tomorrow and you go about your work week and you go to work wherever you're going to go to work or you, or you retire wherever you're going to retire or you're going to uh, home, home moms, you're going to go run the errands and take care of the kids. How many people are you going to see but you won't see? The question on the table this morning is the question the scribe asked, who is my neighbor? And I'm not here to test you this morning like the scribe was testing Jesus. I'm going to give you the answer. Who, my neighbor, who is my neighbor? Everybody say anybody. Anybody that the Lord puts in your path is your neighbor. And the church said anybody that the Lord puts in your path is your neighbor. And if we're going to be a love your city church. And if we're going to see his kingdom. We need a vision that will stop us. We've talked about 2020. I played with it a little bit. But 2020 uh, is, means 2020 vision. We talked about that the first week. And if I am going to see his kingdom as he saw it. I need a vision that will stop me in my tracks. The Samaritan stopped. I need courage that will risk moving into that situation. What do you mean by that pastor? Well it took a risk for that Samaritan to reach out. He didn't know if the bandits may still be around the corner or under the next rock. But he stepped out and he took a risk. 
He took a risk to reach out to somebody who was different than him. I cannot express enough. The, the, the emphasis of this story is not that somebody got helped. The emphasis is that a Samaritan helped a Jewish person. And the Jewish person would have rather that Samaritan not help him. But can I tell you something? If you've been beaten up and wounded and left for half dead, you don't care who comes along to help you. It doesn't matter if they have the same political uh, persuasion as you do. If they're going to vote, how you're going to vote in November. It doesn't matter what color hair they have or how many tattoos they have or how many earrings they have. It doesn't matter what they smell like or what they look like. We are called to see with the eyes of Jesus. And we've got to stop seeing through American eyes and through our political eyes and get past all that garbage that the enemy, as I said last week, will keep us from seeing his kingdom. If we're not careful, we must see as Jesus saw. We need a compassion that feels And sometimes it means we just have got to stop long enough to allow the Holy Spirit to pour a little empathy into our spirits. Sometimes we have a little sympathy. Well, I just, they're just going through it. Empathy is a game changer, guys. Empathy thinks and looks at the world through their eyes and says, what is it like to be going through that that they're going through? And it changes me and moves me to a compassion that feels and then we need a heart that moves us that we don't just see it and we don't just feel but we move in the direction of the need and we do something about the need that's there that's what the Samaritan did he got off his animal he got down where the Jewish man was he bandaged his wounds He poured in the oil and the wine. He picked him up. He put him on his beast. He likely walked with him slowly. A slow walk with an injured man almost dead to an end. He took money out of his wallet. He laid it at the Holiday Inn table and he said, I'll pay for his room And give him a good room. And whatever else he needs. If you got to hire doctors to come in here. I'll pay for it all. I'll be back to check on him. He was moved with compassion. And I want to tell you. Sometimes. If you're going to see with kingdom eyes. It may cost you something. It may cost you something out of your pocket. It may cost you something out of your time. It may cost you something when you were planning on going and doing something else. But it means that you see with kingdom eyes. This Samaritan had a see his kingdom perspective. He saw beyond himself to the needs of others. And let me warn you this morning. Because you're tracking with me this morning. You know where we're going. We're about to finish here in just a second. The way we finished every Sunday this month. I'm going to ask everybody together to come. And we're going to come and we're going to pray. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. But I'm going to lead you in a very dangerous prayer this morning. I'm going to challenge you to pray a prayer this morning that says, God, open my eyes and let me see with kingdom eyes. Now, let me warn you something. If you pray that prayer sincerely asking God to open your eyes and give you compassion, He will. And then the opportunity comes. And then you've got to move into action. Can I tell you something? Three words. And a lot of you need to live by this every day. 
Don't overthink it. People overthink stuff in our culture now all the time. Some of y'all are overthinkers and you just, you need to run to the altar right now because you're an overthinker. I tell my daughter all the time, don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. But when the opportunity comes, if you've prayed the prayer, don't overthink it. Don't question it. Look at that opportunity as an answer to your prayers, even if it shows up in the way that you didn't think it would show up. Because we, we get to see his kingdom mindset. We think, well, I kind of know that it might show up like this and like this. But if it shows up like you did not think about it and you prayed the prayer, just don't overthink it and say, God, that's you. I'm going to go ahead and help and move and do what I can do in that situation. It may be moving out of your comfort zone. It may be doing something different than you're used to doing. But God will give you the strength and the ability to do it. Amen? Amen. Kevin, if you'll come and begin to play. I want to share this with you this morning. You know, I love it when we come together here every Sunday. Do you? I look forward to this every week. There's times where I'm standing down there on that front corner and I just, I stop singing and I listen to you sing. I love it when the presence of God fills this place and we just, we move in a different direction than we thought, like we did a few minutes ago. And God begins to move and touch and heal and minister. But can I tell you today something that we know, but let me remind you, we are not called to these one, two, three, four walls. This is not where we're called. We're called to the world around us, the world that God has put us in. We're called to be the church in action. We're called to love our city. And, 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 and let, me, let me just say something right here. You know, somebody might say, man, the, the statement was perfect. Here is heart, show is love. Why do we need to add something else to that? I certainly didn't come into this year thinking we were going to add another statement. But I heard a message that much of it I'm stealing today from our former general overseer, Mark Williams. About four months ago as I was working on, actually working on another message. I was working on a prop for a message one day and I was listening to this message that I'm much of which I'm sharing with you today. And my eyes were open and I said, God, it's not enough that we hear your heart. Absolutely. We're showing your love. But for us to take this to another level, allow this to get beyond the check marks that we can make, that we made this morning. Praise God for family promise. Praise God for Backpack Buddies and for Rinkin Elementary School. This church is doing more right now in our community than we've ever done before in the time that I've been a part of it over the last 19 years. We're doing more than we've ever done in the community. You guys are giving more to the community. I just saw the statement last week of, of 2019, and we're giving more financially to, to the community and to efforts than we've ever had before. But it can't just be what we can lay into the offering plate and when we bring a little bit of food. It's got to get inside of our guts. It's got to become a part of our DNA as believers, Christians, Christ followers, that it's inside of us that we see His kingdom everywhere we go and everything we do. So the question that was on the table this morning was, who is my neighbor? I want to close with a story that I heard a few months ago. There was a young man who went to a university. He had a lot of hopes and goals and visions and desires for his life as he went to start college. 
But not long afterward, he got involved in some things, kind of got along, along with the wrong crowd, and he, he got involved in, in alcohol and drugs, and, and he got so into this addiction that he had to get out of school. He was kicked out of school because he couldn't keep his grades up. And he eventually wound up living out on the streets. And he, he had no hope. He was destitute. He was, his arms were scratched up where he had cut himself. He smelled like alcohol. He smelled like a homeless person would smell. He had reached the bottom of the barrel. But one day in his effort to try to do something to change his situation, he remembered that across the street from the university that he attended in the town where he had wound up homeless and destitute was a church. But it was a very affluent church. It was, it was an uppity church. I won't consider us an uppity church. We're just a regular folk church. If you consider yourself uppity, then okay, you can be uppity. But we're just regular folks. This was an uppity church, you know. You know, you know what uppity church is, right? But it was a good church. And he found himself walking through the back doors one day and walking in. And as he walked in, it was packed, y'all. It was packed. He, he walked in and he couldn't find a seat anywhere as he walked in. And it was, he, was, he walked in in the middle of worship and it was difficult. No usher was there to help him find a seat. And this young man's looking and looking and he just starts slowly making his way down the aisle. His hair a different color than everybody else's in a room. He has more tattoos than everybody else in the room. More nose piercings and ear piercings and all kinds of piercings. And he's he's smells of alcohol and he just smells like somebody who's been living out on the street. And as he makes his way down the aisle of that fine church, people begin to look and see and our attention is drawn to him. And he never can find a seat. So he walks all the way down and just sits in the floor. About that time, an 80-year-old usher who was actually a deacon at the church was sitting in the back. He's watching all this go on. This 80-year-old usher stands up, three-piece suit, deacon board, badge that says he's an usher, not a hair out of place. He starts to slowly make his way down the aisle to where that boy is as the people see him walking down and making his way some say oh boy I, well I guess something really does need to be done about this I mean that may be a little embarrassing but something does need to be done and the 80 year old deacon got down stood beside him and then he came to where he was and he slowly made his way down to the floor took his cane in his lap and sat beside the young man for the rest of the service the pastor a few minutes later when worship's over he, he gets up and he walks to the pulpit and he says church today I had planned on preaching a sermon but today we have seen a sermon 
that needed to be preached. Church, God's calling us not to just see like we've normally seen. It's time for us to give up all our excuses and hear the Holy Spirit say, I'm calling you to something greater. I'm calling you to be like Jesus, to see opportunities, to see need, and to move and be used by me. Who is my neighbor? The one word answer today, and I hope you know it, is what? Anybody. Let's stand together this morning. And as you stand, I'm going to ask you to come and join me. And we're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask Tressa and Cody to come. They're going to lead us in a song here in just a moment. But if everybody will come together, we're going to join in prayer this morning. And then we're going to have a great time of fellowship and lunch together. Please come as close as you can. Got a full house today. Let's let everybody get up here this morning. this morning as we get ready to close in prayer when you heard that story today we probably all heard the story of the good Samaritan but I want to ask you this morning who were you in the story maybe you were the person that we didn't even talk about today maybe you were the robber the thief maybe you've hurt somebody or wounded somebody or injured somebody can I tell you today that Jesus loves you exactly as you are but loves you too much to keep you that way as we said last week and he wants to forgive you today if you've hurt or wounded somebody maybe today you're here and you're the wounded Jewish man who was beaten up, robbed and left for dead Maybe life or family or situations or words or actions. You are hurt today. You're wounded. And I tell you this morning, there is a healer in Jesus. The healing that Jesus provides isn't just for our physical bodies. Does he do that? Amen. But he also can heal those wounds of our past of regret of our mistakes there is a healing in Jesus amen but I'm going to tell you something let's just be honest today we've all been the Levite and the priest amen we've all been there we've all done it we've all had opportunities we were too busy there was too much going on maybe we thought it was for somebody else and we moved to the other side and we didn't stop but the call today for us is that we see, we see those people. Students, you see that person that sits alone in the lunchroom at school. You see that person who doesn't have any friends 
that it will be uncomfortable for you. You will risk something to see his kingdom. Folks who work in our community, there may be people you're seeing every day on your job, as a part of your job, and you see them, but you don't see them. Maybe it's the person that we've all been guilty of this. Their number comes up on the phone and you're like, I don't want to talk to them today. But maybe they're calling you and you're the one that God has laid on their heart. Jesus asked the question, which of these three men would you say was a neighbor to the man who had been hurt by the bandits? And the teacher, the scribe said, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Ring a church of God, now go and do the same. Now go and do the same. God, right now, we pray a dangerous prayer. And we ask you this morning to give us kingdom eyes in 2020. God, it's a risky prayer to pray. But Lord, I believe there are people outside of these four walls who, are, who need us. And we are... We are we're an arm length away from them every day and maybe we're not seeing it anymore. Give us fresh eyes, I pray. Will you pray right now over your life that God will give you a vision that stops you in your tracks? Say it, God, give me a vision that stops me in my tracks. Pray right now that God would give you the courage to take a risk. Pray it, God. I pray for a courage to take a risk, to go out and help, to step out of my comfort zone. Will you pray right now for compassion that feels? God, give us compassion that we can feel, even if they're different than us. Even if they look different or vote different or believe different. Give us a compassion that feels. And God, we pray for hearts that move. We pray that? Say, God, give me a heart that moves. Repeat after me, Jesus, give me a heart that moves. Give me compassion that feels. Give me courage that risks. Give me vision that stops. Lord, we pray that today in the name of Jesus. May you move that in our hearts. May you move in our lives. In the name of Jesus. Let's sing it. Oh, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending This is what he did for you and me. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never Sing that again, sing that chorus again. It chased you down. Oh, it chases me down. Fights till I'm found. Leaves a 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never 
Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, you'd say, Pastor, Les, I am wounded and I'm away from God. And the most important decision I need to make before I look at somebody else, I've looked at myself all morning and I'm away from Him. And I need to make a decision to follow Christ, to make Him number one in my life. If that's you today, would you raise your hand and put it right back down? I want to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. There's two hands. There's three hands. Anybody else today need to make a decision? Four hands this morning. Four people this morning raise their hands and say, five people this morning say, I need to make a decision. Six people this morning who said, I need to make a decision to put Jesus first in my life today. It's so simple. He sees where you're at. Oh my goodness, He sees every hurt, every pain. And today, He knew that you needed to be here at Rinkin Church of God on January 26, 2020 to hear that He loves you, He cares about you. Church, we're going to pray a prayer right now and I want everybody in the room to pray it. And if you're here today and you just raised your hand and you said, I need to make a decision. I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I've got to put some things back in order. When you pray this prayer, you are declaring with your mouth as the Word of God says, declare with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus was, God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. Let's pray together. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he died and took my place on the cross. I believe you raised him to life. And I want to trust him now as my savior. I want to follow him today as Lord. From this day forward. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you give God praise today? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, if you prayed that prayer, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Find a good church. You found it, search over. Stay here. Stay plugged in. Be a part of what God's doing here. As you walk out, on the other side of that wall, there's a little basket. There's a bunch of books there that we provide for people who little books. And they're on the corner up here as well that will help you read something and help you in your walk with God to learn about what it means to follow Him. Grab one of those. Tell somebody about the decision you made. You just made the best decision of your life. Amen, everybody? Amen. Amen. Now, let me tell you one more thing. When you came in this morning, I mean, you got one of these cards. Sit with me cards. Hopefully you didn't sit on your sit with me. But over the last three years, as a part of Love Your City, at the last Sunday of, of January every year, we've given these cards. They've looked different every year. Some of them you can write something on. But we decided to do something different this year. This year, these cards that say, sit with me, and just on the back have the church website and, and our times of worship on Sunday and Wednesday, they're going to be available at the coffee table over here at the little sitting area in the new foyer. And uh, you can pick those up anytime. We'll have them available all year. But what we want you to do, what's the obvious thing? You want to find somebody and say, hey, baby, come sit with me. <laughs> now, that was probably not the right way to say it. But if you're single, you can say that. All y'all, y'all can say that, right? If they love the Lord, right? Okay? Now, but find somebody. Now, let me tell you what's going to start next Sunday. You have an opportunity this week to use this card. Next Sunday, we begin a series that we've not done in two years. Next Sunday, we begin a series on marriage and family. How many of you know somebody whose marriage is not doing well? 
Nobody. Well, praise God. Marriages are healed in Effingham. I know you're not going to raise your hand because it might be yours. But if you know somebody whose marriage is struggling, we're going to talk about what it means to, for God to repair marriages and build them the way they need to be. And next week, we're going to begin a series called The Vow. And this series is going to be for everybody. It's going to be for y'all who aren't married. I'm going to tell you how to find the right person, guaranteed, if you'll follow these 16,000 steps that we're going to give you. Just kidding. It's not that hard. We're going to, we're going to talk to those of you who, are, who want to get married at some point. We're going to talk to those of you who are married and you've been doing this. What does it mean? How can you have a godly marriage? And I want you to find somebody this week, friend, family member, somebody you work with, invite them to church next Sunday who needs to hear this. And if they don't show up, then send them the link from the message and they'll get it. But we're going to begin next Sunday a new series I'm real excited about called The Vow. We're going to bring some healing in Jesus' name to some marriages who need it. Now, everybody hungry, ready to eat? How about if I go and pray for the food now? Oh, come on now. And then we'll be ready to eat, okay? Lord, we close the door right now on these 21 days of fasting and prayer. And God, I thank you for what you've done in the life of our church. God, thank you for prayers that have been answered, for testimonies that we've heard about over the last 21 days. Thank you, God, for prayers that are on, the answer is on the way, and it's coming. Amen? God, we are believing in faith that what we've sown in fasting and prayer and reading your word over the last 21 days is going to cause us to have the greatest year we've ever had in the history of Rinkin Church of God. Soul saved, life changed, people delivered, healed, set free, marriages restored. And we thank you for all that you've done and all you're going to do. Now, thank you for this food that we're going to have. We pray that as we share in fellowship and in food today, you would bless it to our bodies and our bodies to your kingdom. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Enjoy lunch today. We'll see you at the live stream.